All right. Uh, it's great to see you all out once again for this Thursday installment of Festival of Faith, which your professor and my friend Lyle Heiss informed me that he was the one who originated the name Festival of Faith. Uh, so you can give him all credit and glory uh, for Festival of Faith. I do love that name. Uh, it's just kind of festive, kind of exciting, kind of energy-provoking, if you will. Did something just fall or anyway? Uh, or it, is it just the wind? Come on now. Sounds like a roller coaster ride going on. Everybody good? The birds are a little frightened. This is the first time I've been in a church with birds. Uh, kind of a fitting touch. And now the wind blowing. Good thing. Hey, um, to get us started today, I just want to share with you all in a nutshell. I've had a few of you ask me, Matthew, you've said you were an atheist before, became agnostic. Can you tell us a story? Just kind of in a nutshell, I'm not going to go into my full testimony because the passages we're about to explore today out of, out of uh, Philippians chapter 3 are some of the most powerful verses in that book, in my humble opinion. And so I'm excited to get into the, excuse me, into those verses and hit the ground running. Uh, but just so you know, uh, back when I was 19 and I was an atheist, I was studying the Rastafarian, well, I shouldn't say studying, I was just very intrigued by the Rastafarian religion. And so uh, having smoked a lot of weed, listened to a lot of Bob Marley when I was 19, bounced down to Jamaica, ended up staying with a Rasta with his wife and daughter for about two weeks. And at the end of those two weeks, started smuggling, I brought back uh, two, tr uh, two wooden statues that were filled with several pounds of weed, or a couple pounds the first time, a little over a pound the second time I went down. And to make a long story short, when I came through customs and the drug dog didn't smell the weed in my bag and the x-ray didn't catch it, I just started to believe that there was a God or something bigger than me watching out for my white backside. Um, and so there began kind of my journey to faith from moving from atheist to agnostic and in short order, I started praying a lot and I started reading a lot. I was going to the library, studying world religions and just looking at uh, the different teachings of some of the major faiths on the planet, um, including Buddhism and Hinduism. I, I looked at the Rastafarian religion and just didn't see a whole lot of meat there and a whole lot of depth there. Um, but I was open and I was exploring. And, uh, and then additionally, I was spending exorbitant amount of time out in nature and I would just encourage you, church, that if you're ever struggling with your faith in God or in a creator, maybe the first place for you to start is not church. Um, I know that will, will rub against some people wrong, uh, but maybe the first place you ought to start is out in God's first book of Revelation, and that is nature. So maybe for you, you need to just take some time and retreat. As a matter of fact, in my book, Reboot Your Spiritual Life, I dive into the just giving you some guidance in how to take a personal retreat. I do retreats in my life regularly and throughout my Christian journey. That's become uh, uh, just an important piece of the rhythm of my growth with Jesus. Brother almost slipped and fell on the step in the balcony. Dude, that's what you get for being up in the balcony, okay? I would have mercy and feel sorry for you, uh, even though it's probably embarrassing for you to slip in front of your girlfriend or wife uh, or maybe future wife, but... Um, just don't go to the balcony and God will bless you more. Um, 
and make my life a lot easier to just be able to look down here. Uh, but anyway, uh, um, so I would just encourage you to consider taking time out if you're wrestling with your faith or if, if you've never had an experience with God. Nature is a great way for him to talk to you. Am I trying to be Henry David Thoreau, Walden Pond, Transcendental? No. I'm just simply telling you that, that God's first book to us is nature, his fir first book of revelation. Ellen White, if you like her, uh, great. If you don't, repent and God will forgive you. And just read some of what she wrote. If she's been crammed down your throat, I'm sorry. Check the chick out. Read Steps to Christ. Read the book Desire of Ages. Right now I'm leading my church, Elms Haven Seventh-day Adventist back in California. We're reading through uh, chapter by chapter the book Acts of the Apostles. Power, powerful stuff there. But getting back to Steps to Christ, first line, first chapter says this. Nature and revelation alike testify of God's love. And so for me, I was spending a lot of time out at the beach. I lived right on the beach. I rented a uh, room out on the beach at 2nd Street. It was where I just spent, it's where my wife and I had our first kiss out on the beach there and where I just spent my last night in St. Augustine before flying here, now moving to California. Uh, uh, but God started to reveal himself to me more. I'm still praying. I get invited to go to a wedding up in Maryland. It happened to be at an Adventist church. And so there at the wedding, I asked the pastor if we could sit and chat for a little bit. He made some time for me. And then after hearing my life journey, he said, I want to give you a book. He handed me Eugene Peterson's The Message, which at that time was just the New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs. That was October of 95. And so I received that Bible. I had never read the Bible before. I had never studied the Bible before. Um, I had heard about Jesus. I was born and raised in a very nominal Catholic home. Uh, but church and God and, and all that was never really a huge part of our life. But when I got this Bible, I started reading it. Very confused. The Bible says that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so my spiritual discernment at that level and point in time in my life was just very malnourished, almost to the point of death. And so when I read scripture, some of it and most of it did not make a lot of sense. But you'll notice as you grow in your journey with God and your journey in faith, you'll notice you'll start taking on a, a new understanding and you'll have more discernment as you look out. You'll have more freedom in your life. Uh, Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Religion flips that upside down and makes things difficult and heavy for you. Jesus comes into your life and actually lifts the burden and gives you life and life more abundant. And so as I read, I started to delight in him. When I got back to Florida after the wedding, uh, I called the local Seventh-day Adventist church, the closest one to my home, uh, because that's what I knew this pastor was. And uh, I was the only colored person there. I was an all-black church, uh, very small church. And these people just love me right into the faith. It's the Bria Seventh-day Adventist Church in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. And uh, it's there that I really, faith in the word and understanding scripture really came alive. In short order, I ended up at Andrews University as a business management aviation major. Uh, but within that first quarter there at Andrews, uh, God really got a hold of my life. And, and uh, I won't go into all those details but uh, really gave me a call and a sense of purpose and a calling to ministry because I realized there was nothing I wanted to study, talk about, think about, sing about, be about than God and Jesus, the Bible, and his word. And so since then, I've gone on to complete a degree in theology, 
pastored and then did a, a two and a half year stint and got my master's of divinity, came out and pastored church, church planted in Seattle, uh, went on to get a doctorate of ministry there. I don't boast my flesh with that, uh, but it is a huge accomplishment for yours truly because I have tons of ADD. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, but I thank God for it because in my family, my father has a college degree. Uh, but my brother doesn't, my, my mother does not, and most of my family, extended family, are not college educated. Uh, um, so anyway, just deeply passionate about God and His church, and, uh, and so that's kind of my triple A uh, method is what I call it, atheist, agnostic, Adventist. Amen. Uh, with that, I'm going to just invite you to bow your heads with me. We're going to pray and then dive into Philippians 3. And uh, as, as we uh, pray, I'm going to move over here, or did I, I, I think I, um, I'm just so sorry, but I think, did I please, sorry, sweet baby Jesus, uh, here it is. <laughs> My mouth is just mm, extremely uh, dry, so is back to the rescue. Water bottle is here just in case. And if you would like a spray, come check it out. It's very powerful. I can't imagine how much that, that was, so maybe I should be just doing one spray at a time. Um, but anyway, I pray that God bless you through his word today. Uh, without further ado, let us bow our heads and we'll dive into it. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity once again to be here at Avondale College. These weeks can be somewhat of a marathon. And here we are at Thursday, and for some of the student body, they're tired, they've got a lot going on in their life, and I just pray for an extra measure of strength and endurance for them. I pray that you would give them a peace that passes all understanding, and I pray above all right now that you would remove any stress or concern of the world or class, remove that away, and may our hearts be attuned to your will, may our minds be open to you speaking to us, may our ears hear uh, may our eyes see what it is that you would have us to see. So may you be honored and glorified in this place. May you be lifted up, that in so doing you would draw all people unto yourself. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open with me to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to be going uh, Philippians 3 verses 1 through 11 today. By God's grace. And so let's just get into it. The Bible says this, Philippians 3 verse 1, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe to you. What, what Paul is getting at there with that statement is simply this, that he knew that they would receive what it is that he is saying to them. Uh, and so he's like, it's easy for me to write this to you. I love you. You can see throughout this book that he deeply loves and cares for the church in Philippi. He sees these people as beautiful as God sees you as a beautiful person. Verse 2, the Bible says this, and this comes in with caution. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And by mutilating the flesh, what, what the church was dealing with back in the early days is some people were coming along teaching that you had to be circumcised. And, and what Jesus did when he came to this planet, because back in, before Jesus came, the Israelites were God's chosen race. They were his chosen people. Uh, they were the remnant people. When Jesus came, he shattered all of that 
and open the door or the way of salvation for anybody, regardless of your gender or race or background or belief. He opened the door for all people to come in. And furthermore, there was this deal with circumcision that the Jews did uh, that Jesus nullified and said, this is not uh, what I'm worried about. I'm worried about the circumcision of the heart. And so Paul here is saying, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, going back to these statements, dogs and evildoers, if you're calling somebody a dog, that's probably not the best, like, word of affirmation. Dude, you're a freaking dog. And you are an evildoer. Uh, Those words are not, don't conjure up a sense of peace and joy and happiness. So what Paul is dealing with and the church is facing at that time is there are people that are antagonistic to the gospel that Paul has taught. And that's why when you read the, read the books that Paul wrote over and over and over again, he keeps admonishing the church to stay true to the word that they heard from him. Why? Because Jesus revealed it to him directly, revealed the gospel to him directly. And so he was very bold, very confident in what he preached and declared. And for some people, and I would say that we face this in our church today, for some people, the gospel that they hear when they hear Jesus preach or when they hear the grace and the love and the joy that is proclaimed in and through the life of Jesus, they say, I understand a different gospel. And so they they combat or or, uh, uh, try to war against the gospel that some people preach. And I would just simply submit to you that these people are dogs or evildoers. Again, if you go through the context of of uh, Philippians, you'll see that these people are more concerned about their own desires, their own needs. Their focus is about themselves and not others. Their focus is on their own gospel and not the gospel according to Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, you and I ought to be people that are following the gospel of Jesus Christ and not some man-made doctrine. And, and as I went and said earlier, you and I must pray for spiritual discernment. Do I have it all together? By no means. Have I got it all figured out? Absolutely not. Did I nearly lose my faith early on in my, in my walk with God in the church? Absolutely. Did I nearly get swept away uh, with fanaticism and, and focus on my own behavior where I was destroying all my CDs and, and wearing a suit and tie and, and following a, a certain eating diet and, and certain behaviors on the Sabbath. I did all of those things and it nearly snuffed out my faith because I was doing things out of a behavior to try to appease God. And that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the gospel is declared to you and you understand grace and understand what it is that Jesus offers you and why he died for you and why he's living today to make intercession for you, something flips. The paradigm shifts. And no longer is your focus all about yourself and what you can figure out and what you can control and manipulate. Suddenly you recognize you are out of control. Suddenly you come to the place where you recognize you're not all that you're cracked up to be. Suddenly you realize that some of the theology you had and declared and believed and stood firm on was actually a joke or was actually not founded in Scripture. Uh, Let me make this side note on this point. My my end end all, my be-all is Jesus. 
The last filter in my life is Jesus. What am I getting at here? There are times when I'm reading scripture and I find myself confused. For instance, like if I look at the book of Leviticus, which Rob Bell, some of you know him, he's not an Adventist pastor, but a very prominent pastor from the United States, did the NUMA series, planted a church called Mars Hill in, in a town called Grand Rapids, Michigan. He started his first year working of that church plant, worked through systematically the entire book, expositorily through the entire book of Leviticus, which is something I really want to get. I've actually searched into it, maybe not hard enough. I'd love to hear that series of how he worked through this, because when you look at the book of Leviticus, it will conjure up imagery that when I was in Haiti, I've been down there several times, when I was in Haiti and would see voodoo practice, it conjures up comparable images. I mean, you're ripping off birds' heads, you're dropping blood on altars and this, that, and the other. And some of the stuff in the Old Testament, just being frank with you, to me is a little bit challenging. It's a tough pill for me to swallow. Sometimes God is accredited for doing things that seem very vindictive, very angry, very wrathful. And so at the end of the day, do I love the Old Testament? Absolutely. Do I preach and read and study the Old Testament? 100%. Jesus declared that these are they which testify of him. And by God's grace, ultimately, when you read the Old Testament, you're wanting to ask yourself, where do I see Jesus? What is this telling me about Jesus? The point is with this, I would encourage you, so take this or leave it. This is Matthew Gamble speaking to you now. I would encourage you that at the end of the day, may your filter always be and may your base always be the life and teachings of Jesus. If anything is contrary to that or you're confused by that, may you just focus on Jesus. In other words, may you err on the side of Jesus if you can do such a thing. Does this make any bit of sense? Like when confusion comes in, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, bath or should I say, don't throw the little baby Jesus out with the bathwater. Uh, get to know Jesus, and may your focus be on Jesus. If there's confusion there, take it to him, surrender it to him, but may your confidence rest solely and supremely in Jesus. What these folks were facing were, is these other people that were coming in, talking probably very passionately, and this is what's scary about any of us that communicate the gospel. Uh, these people were probably very passionate, very convincing, but what Paul is saying is they're dogs and they're evildoers. Uh, in Revelation 22, verse, uh, verse 15, on the next slide here, please, thank you. It says this, outside are the dogs and sorcerers. So I want you to just see again the word dogs and used in this context because it flushes it out a little bit more. And, and again, let this moment be a bit of a teaching tool of how to study the Word of God. When you're studying the Word and reading the Word, if there's a word that pops up, then you're just like, well, what does this mean? Look for other occurrences that the Word is used in Scripture. Here in Revelation 22, verse 15, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexual immor sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. By God's grace, you get into the word of God and you know Jesus, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when you see uh, uh, people that are loving and practicing falsehood, you can see it a mile away. And you start again to have that discernment. Uh, continuing on here, uh, uh, sorry, uh, verse 3. And so here's where we go back to uh, where at the end of verse 2 where he talked about mutilating the flesh. Watch what Paul does here. 
He says, for we are the circumcision. So do we mutilate the flesh? Are we physically circumcised? No. We are the circumcision who worship by the what church? Come on, y'all. By the Spirit of God and what church? We glory in who? Christ Jesus and put no confidence in where? In the flesh. And, and you guys, this is such a fundamental teaching and, and something that is so simple, but at the same time, we've got to get our minds wrapped around, our hearts surrendered to, that we can put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, Jesus isn't up in heaven doing some bit of checklist to see how many times you've gone to church in the course of a year. Uh, uh, one, one, and, and I, I just was talking to a brother this morning, so I'm not, uh, but some people will teach that you need to spend a bi- an hour in your Bible every day. Uh, the problem with that type of teaching, in my opinion, look, if you're convicted to spend an hour in your Bible every day, God bless you and Jesus loves you. I'm just simply saying it's not biblical. Jesus didn't teach that. And unfortunately, I've talked to people that took that advice, spent an hour in the Bible every day, and ended up very frustrated and angry and bitter. Why? Because God wasn't leading it. God wasn't drawing him. God, the Spirit of God wasn't drawing that person to the Word of God. And so in essence, what they were doing was, in their own flesh, they were trying to, to appease God or trying to get to know God through something that somebody taught that isn't a biblical principle. You know this whole notion about your devotional life and how people lord your devotional? Have you had your devotions today? Jesus don't care about your devotional life. There's no such thing as a devotional life, in my humble opinion. What Jesus is worried about is your life of devotion. But we as humans, we try to control everything. Spend an hour in the Bible every day. Uh, uh, Do this every day and then God will bless you. Well, that's not how God works. It's not an equation. Human beings, we want an equation. We want a formula. Mix me up the potion, let me suck it down, and then I'll be good to go. No, it doesn't work that way. The spiritual realm is much bigger than that. God is much bigger than that. Maybe for you, you've got to spend some time in, in, in nature. Maybe for you, God is, going to, God is going to convict you today and say to you, Sally Joe, I want you spending an hour in the Bible every day. And if God convicts you of that, so please, I pray you're hearing me on this. Am I condemning that? By no means, as long as it's God that's convicting you to do it. But don't make your standard the standard for everybody else. Don't make your equation and your formula the formula for everybody else because it can really mess people up. We ought to be spirit-led, spirit-filled. And so that's what Paul says. We are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. I wish my throat was a little bit stronger right now, but I love this, y'all. We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and in so doing, we put no confidence in the flesh, period. Actually, it's a hyphen. Verse 4. Though I myself, and watch what Paul does here. What Paul's about to do is he's actually going to defend how he, of anybody, has the ability to glory and boast in his flesh. For I, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, 
I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. So I, I hope you understand what he's establishing here. This dude was one of the head honchos. Not only was he just some uh, Pharisee that sat off in the corner, he's a head honcho in, in the Pharisaical way of life. This dude was top dog. Continuing on, verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. Have you ever met such people that they say that they are blameless? Or I've, I've, in, my, in, the light, in my life, I have met a handful of people that have actually said it has been X amount of days or X amount of times since I last sinned. And they look at, they look at the Ten Commandments and they are convinced in their mind and in their heart that they are the, keeping the Ten Commandments. Uh, last time I checked and went through the Ten Commandment checklist, I, I just can't measure up. But what Paul is saying here is, is that in his mind, he was perfect. He was without blemish. He was as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. Verse 7 but whatever I gain, uh, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What he's getting at is simply this. When you start coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, all the stuff that you used to do to try to appease God, all the, all the stuff that you were trying to do to just earn his favor or be acceptable to him, all of that is just rubbish you actually start to recognize that it, it was a complete waste of time for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, this dude in the church was a top dog, head leader in his church. And, and he had a very high position. He was held in high regard. But when he understood the gospel, all of that diminished and went by the wayside. As a matter of fact, Paul had to really humble himself. And for the early church, I mean, just imagine Paul. Homie's been going around just buckshot killing Christians. And then now he's got this conversion experience with Jesus that's very real, very authentic. And he shows up at a Christian function. The Christians are defiling themselves and probably running for, for right right, I mean, they would have right uh, reason to be doing this. I mean, if some dude was going around killing Christians and then showed up at your church, you wouldn't be like, praise the Lord, brother, come on in. May you have a seat with me. You'd probably be fleeing. This dude had a lot to go through and he, he lost a lot. And, and God be praised, his pride did not get in the way of Jesus calling him, which it very easily could have. Whatever, I gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 18, indeed, and here he flushes it out even that much further. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain, that I may gain Christ. Church, please hear this. Knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord. Can I just confess something to you honestly? Uh, 
I, I feel like I know Jesus, but I also feel at the same time when I say that, there's a lot that I don't know, and, and I desire to know him a whole lot more. I've tasted him, and when I say I've tasted him, what I'm saying is, is in my life journey, I can't just chalk up some of my experience to just mere happenstance or mere coincidence. In other words, I actually believe in a divine power in none other than Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus was a man who came here and lived a faithful 33 and a half years on this planet. He's a historical figure, so you don't really have a lot of leeway when it comes to whether or not Jesus actually walked the face of the planet. The question is, is what he taught, was it, was it real? What he said when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is that real? When he taught in John 14, 9, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, is that, is that true? And for myself personally, I've come to the place where I believe it and I accept it. But when I read these statements that, that Paul is saying, uh, uh, the loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, I know him and I want to know him more. And I'm here to tell you once again, the Bible says it over and over again, and I'll declare it to you, that the gospel is a mystery. Christ abiding in you, again, Colossians 1.27, the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When he comes in, you will start to have experience. It could be walking, merely walking on this campus, and you end up having an experience in a divine encounter with God where something happens above and beyond your human comprehension or your own ability. Or as a brother I was talking with today told me that, that when he had gone to an Adventist college over in California where I'll be living four miles from, he said he prayed because he needed $4,500 to continue in school and some anonymous donor, all he did was pray and fast over it and an anonymous donor paid the bill. When you start having experiences with the living God, things start taking on new meaning and you desire more of him and less of self. You start to desire more of Jesus, more of his kingdom, more of his will, and less of your kingdom, less of this earth, and, and less of your will. Like less of self, more of Christ. Continuing on, so he's saying, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, in, that, in order that, and he's counting all this stuff as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ. Verse 9 and be found in him. And watch this now. This is what we're going to enter into right now. And I'm going to close with these last three verses. 9, 10, and 11. We're going to look at justification, sanctification, and glorification. Verse 9. Being found in him. This is justification right here. When you are in Christ, you are justified. Paul had killed a bunch of people. I don't care how screwed up your life is. I don't care how much sex you've had. I don't care how much drugs and alcohol you've done. I would submit to you simply that murdering people in the name of God is a pretty hefty charge. Like, like he is the chief of sinners and can wrap the Indian band with the feathers and bow, wow, Like I am the chief of sinners. He was a pretty screwed up dude. But watch this. When he's found in Christ Jesus, he doesn't have a righteousness of his own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith. At the end of the day, you have a choice. You really only have two choices on this planet was in this regard. Was Jesus who he said he was? Was he really God or is he not? And here at Avondale College, you're going to be presented with Jesus over and over and over again. When Eddie Hippolyte shows up in this place, you are going to have Jesus crammed down your esophagus, a.k.a. esophageal passage. I don't mean to say he's going to be crammed down, but Jesus is going to be continuously lifted up in front of you, and ultimately you have to make a choice as to whether or not you believe in him. Ultimately, you are called to simply say, can I put my belief in him? When you do, according to this passage here, uh, uh, when I put my faith in him, I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, because if your righteousness comes from yourself and from the law and obeying the law, honestly, you're putting your faith in yourself. Uh, But that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So you get this righteousness as you take your faith off of yourself and onto Christ. That is the gospel. That is justification. The moment you choose to accept him, you are justified. Verse 10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. This is sanctification now. As you continue to grow in your grace and your walk with Jesus Christ, you become sanctified. What is sanctification? Really, you know what it is? You know what sanctification is, in my opinion? All it is is God trying to restore in you that which he first intended you to be in the first place, without sin. And so even on this planet, even though I'm still broken, even though I still sin, even though I still blow it, God is working out a sanctification process. How does it happen? I start to know him and I start to understand the power of his resurrection. This is why when I go into churches and I feel like we are dead in trespasses and sins and all we do is sit around and it's just a depressing mess of just nothing and there's no sense of vibrancy, there's no sense of excitement, there's no sense of joy, there's no sense of life, to me it's an abomination and something is fundamentally wrong. When we can't celebrate together life, when we can't dance together celebrating life, something in my opinion is fundamentally wrong. When Jesus comes in, uh, you are sanctified through knowing him. You start understanding more the power of his resurrection that you may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. This goes out back to where Paul was saying that he is a uh, drink offering, that his life is being poured out. Any follower of Jesus, your life is being poured out. Not to boast in my flesh, but I've had some of you come to me and say, you must be so exhausted from talking to all these people. Quite frankly, I'm not because I'm sanguine and I'm really filled by it. Now, at the end of the day, am I exhausted? Yes. Have I had two migraines since coming here? Yes. And I don't get all that. Uh, uh, But ultimately, when you're following Jesus, your life is not your own. You're being poured out. But I'll tell you this, there is no other place I would rather be. There There is no other place that I would rather be. Chaplain Wayne, sorry, little Wayne, little Wayne asked me, do you want to go see some tourist events? I'm not here for tourism. I'm not here for vacation. 
Your life when you're following Jesus will be poured out. And as I said to you earlier this week, that is where the joy comes because there is no other place. When you are pouring your life out on behalf of God, you are in service on behalf of the King of Kings. It is the most incredible thing on the planet. Conversely, when all your attention and focus is on yourself and all you're doing is all about yourself, for instance, if you're in school right now at Avondale and your whole vision is what you can get and it's all about you and getting your degree and all this, in contrast, if your vision is not, not that I'm getting this degree so that I'll be a better servant and better be able to pour my life out to other people, I tell you this right now, if you can get into that paradigm, your joy and happiness at Avondale will increase that much more. Your effectiveness as a follower of Jesus Christ will increase that much more. Why? Because you're not studying for yourself. You're studying for that kid that you're going to go serve. You're studying for that congregation that you're going to go serve. You're studying for that country that you as an international development student are going to go serve. And it's no longer about yourself. Uh, there was one other thing that I wanted to say, and then we'll, we'll land the plane here. Uh, in verse 10, uh, know him. Oh, hear this. The power of his resurrection. You guys, um, here's it. I don't want to leave the... Pre- Listen. I've said it already this week, but the reason why you're going to start believing in Jesus is not because Matthew is here preaching, not because Wayne got up and preached, not because uh, Eddie's going to come and preach, uh, not because your Bible's did the, not because you've learned the 2300-day prophecy. The reason why you're going to believe in Jesus Christ is because you're going to taste the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? You're going to actually start experiencing firsthand the power of Jesus living in you, working his good and perfect will in and through you. And I would simply submit to you, if you haven't experienced that, for those of you who are not a believer, for those of you who have not surrendered your life to Jesus, something is fundamentally wrong. And there are people that are in their 80s and 90s that have been going to church all their life. They're 28th generation Seventh-day Adventists. They were Adventists before Ellen White was. Like, like they have been in this Adventist thing all their life but they've never tasted the power of the resurrection. They've got the theology correct, but they've not experienced the transforming power of the resurrected Christ in their life. And I am telling you this much. The reason why I get chills about this stuff is, is when you start to taste that, you desire more of it. This is the hungering and thirsting after righteousness. What are you hungering and thirsting after? Your own righteousness? Absolutely not. You hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he comes in you and you start to understand that he is alive and well today. Even though he died 2,000 years ago, the dude is still alive and well today. He's as fresh and relevant as he was then as he is today. And the same spirit that abided in him then is available for you today. Verse 11 and we close. And that was sanctification. And this is now glorification. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Ultimately, church, this planet is not your home. This earth is not your home. Uh, Wayne just did a funeral yesterday. Uh, When people see a funeral happen, this is not God's will for their life. I'm sick and tired when I go to a funeral and a pastor gets up and preaches and said, it was his time and God took him. 
I'm like, really? Because the Bible I read says uh, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. I don't think it's God's will that you perish. I do think it is absolutely God's will that you resurrect from this earth. I can't explain to you why everything is happening the way it is, but I will tell you this. God has permitted sin to come into this planet and to run its terrible course. And it's doing a great job. As the book of Philippians said, uh, uh, where we looked at earlier, we are in a crooked and perverse generation. This world is crooked and it is perverse. People are crooked and they are perverse. The follower of Jesus Christ starts to be uh, justified by receiving him, sanctified by him living up inside them. And ultimately, we will be glorified as as the body of believers, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. When he comes again, we will all be glorified as we are caught up in the air to meet him. And it is that day that I long for. Some people fear the coming of Christ. Some people are all trembling and running to the hills because of the end times. I just simply say, repent. God will forgive you. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. You've got enough drama going on today. Don't get hung up in conspiracy theories. Don't get hung up looking at all these different signs. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. He is your greatest advocate. He's coming again soon. I believe that. And when he comes again, you are going to meet your best friend. You are going to meet the guy that is dying to save you. And I just pray that if you hear his voice, you will not shun him, but that you will run to him. As I said to you last night, our decision this week is simply you just email or come and talk to us. We're not going to do cards. We're not going to do an altar call. You are a grown adult. You can think with your own brain and act. And if the Holy Spirit is calling you, I just simply challenge you. You've got to act upon it. And, and there is no question in my mind that when you act upon it, it will equate. You've got to talk to somebody. That is how this thing works. You can't be a solo Christian. There's no such thing. You've got to come talk to somebody. We are here to be of service to you. And by God's grace, Jesus is doing incredible things in and through our lives even right now. Without further ado, I'm going to invite you to uh, stand with me. We're going to close with a word of prayer. You guys will be dismissed. Uh, to go get into the classes. Um, I'm going to meet with one of the pastors here today, and then it's going to be a great joy to go visit our sister Carly today. Uh, Wayne and I, little Wayne, we're going to roll in his hoopty. We're going to bump to it and go visit our dear sister. I encourage you and implore you to keep her in your prayers as she's recovering and for her family as well. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you once again for this opportunity. Thank you for the book of Philippians. I just pray as we went through those 11 verses, I pray uh, uh, that you would speak to the people. I pray that you would prick our spirit and, and conscience and remind us to go back and study these words. May we be faithful to get into it. And, and Lord, as we read it, may we not just give lip service to it. May we take it to heart and, and may we simply ask the question, what are you calling us to do? And for the brother or sister here today that you impress them to spend an hour in, their word, in the word, praise God for that. For the brother and sister here today that you call out to go spend, spend a season of time or a day or a couple hours out in nature just to abide in you, I praise God for that. I just simply pray that these words and this opportunity of this festival of faith would not be in vain. That, you, that we just simply give you full permission to exercise your good and perfect will. May you justify us, sanctify us, and we so look forward to that time where we are glorified. 
where we get to spend eternity with you, where the mystery is no longer a mystery because all things become known just as we are known. In Jesus' name, amen.